queries. I'm India Bastien. And I'm Aubrey Calvin. Together we explore being a part of the LGBTQ community in the South. A quick note on terminology. On this show, we let guests identify in the best way they're comfortable with. Some of the terms or topics might be different, new, or uncomfortable to you. That discomfort is part of what we're exploring together. We encourage you to listen with an open heart and continue these discussions with your larger community. We encourage any meaningful and polite feedback. And welcome to Southern Queries. We should talk to Kevin Garcia on our show. Okay, and, why? Why do well, you think that? A couple reasons, but one of the fun facts about Kevin is Kevin used to be my roommate. Um, we lived briefly together in this lovely house in Kirkwood, Atlanta. Both of us, or the three of us, I should say, we were all in transition. Um, Kevin and their partner at the time lived with me. I think it was a, in my own perception, it was a very difficult year for all of us. Um, and I think in very different ways. Um, since then, Kevin has flourished with their career. They wrote a book, they have multiple projects. And even though I'm not religious myself, I'm so fascinated with the work that they have been doing, especially given that they're in the South. And on top of that, doing it digitally. I think that's why I'm excited to talk about them. And so, you know me, for every person we talk to, I like to do a deep dive. So all week I've been watching their YouTube channel. I've been, I read their whole book. I, mm-hmm. I, I, I've been listening to some of their podcasts and I just am fascinated by their story. I think one thing that I find is my own connection is that for a while I was actually thinking of becoming a minister myself. No way. Yes, when I was a teenager, I was either going to be a minister or a lawyer. And so I've spent a lot of time struggling with my own issues of religion and identity. And spoiler alert, I'm neither. (laughs) I'm not a religion. I'm not a preacher nor a lawyer. I teach. Yeah. And I think it's so important to talk about your spiritual life and faith Um, And how do you deal with your faith and being queer at the same time? So eh, I'm excited to have them on the show. And so then I have to ask, because I'm excited, how did you all become roommates? Was it a Craigslist thing? Was it a friend of a friend or I just had a spare room or? Good question. I want to say if my memory serves me correctly, and this is probably a story for a different time, but I think we were on the lesbian yacht party that Rachel Garbus planned for her birthday. And I met Kevin and their partner at the time there and someone knew someone that knew that they were looking for uh, a new housing situation together. And I was looking for roommates. So I think I just walked up to them and said, hey, I heard through the grapevine that you guys needed a, a new place to stay. I'm looking for a roommate. I think that's how we connected and through community on this lesbian yacht party. (laughs) Well, that is amazing.
theologian and intuitive soul coach based in Atlanta, Georgia. They are the author of Bad Theology Kills, Undoing Toxic Beliefs and Reclaiming Your Spiritual Authority, published just this year. Kevin's work has also, has also appeared in several anthologies by queer people of faith. Through their work as a digital pastor and public theologian, Kevin uses writing, podcasts, and their YouTube channel to help foster communities of authentic, spiritual-seeking individuals. Kevin holds a Master's of Arts in Practical Theology from Columbia Theological Seminary and a Bachelor's of Music in Choral Music Education from Christopher Newport University. They are also the creator of Queerly Beloved Apparel and Beer, uh, Big Queer Adventure Company, in addition to LGBTQ advocacy and spiritual awakening, Kevin's passions include good music, tacos, and really horrible dad jokes. 100%, 100%, especially the bad dad jokes. Oh, aren't they the best? Like, I'm dead serious. Like, if I, every time I go on a date, I tell one of my jokes, and if they don't laugh, I'm out. I'm done. Oh, oh, oh. We're so excited to have you. Yeah. It's been forever since you and I have talked, too. It's like, God, because you're in a whole different state now. Yep. Yep. I was just telling Aubrey that my fun fact of the day is that we all used to live together. <laughs> yeah, 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 we did. Um, and Oof, I, I even time. got like chills when I saw one of your videos and like our living room was in the background and I could see my decorating and I was like, aw. Which video? Mm. I've been binging your videos. Which video? Oh. I don't remember. There was, there was a bunch. Yeah, there was a bunch. I was going through this period where I was talking a lot, like very explicitly about like Christian, like queer positive Christian theology. And I was doing like all these explainer videos. And that's, that's back when I was like shooting on my iPhone. <laughs> yeah, but they look good. No, I liked them. I was, I've been binging them. I really liked them. Oh, oh, oh. So I did want to start with how do you identify and why is that identity important to you? And also wanted to triple check what your pronouns do you use? Right. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Pronouns are they, them, theirs these days. But I always tell people, I really do like all the pronouns. Like I'm, I'm happy with they, but if you call me he or she, like my friends, a lot of them just use it interchangeably with me, which I personally love because it's like, depending on like how I'm presenting, like obviously with a lipstick on she's a woman um but then like you know there's like if i'm out in public and i'm like you know i have like these bright ass yellow workout tights and like it's hanging just like and i'll I'll be like swinging a kettlebell around with nails on it's just like who is who who is they who is she um, you don't know do that without chipping your nails though because so, that's always uh, been my big problem <laughs> chipping my nails when i work out so how do you do that um it's uh i uh, i don't spend a lot of money on on i like i just do it myself i know it's gonna chip there's also this really great brand called color street and they're just press on and they'll last you for two weeks and it looks like a gel manicure it's a really cheap alternative to especially i'm also not very like uh being very covid conscious so i'm not like going back to the salon yet to get my nails did um but anyways that's the pronouns okay and now how do you identify yeah um i identify uh uh, I'm queer. Uh, I'm I'm definitely a mystic. I am somebody who is 
Uh, I don't. Someone used to call me like um, denominationally promiscuous among like Christianity, but now I would say like uh, I'm spiritually polyamorous, if you will. That's actually not a bad way to put it. It's like I find multiple loves and multiple faith streams. Yeah, that's um, amazing. Okay, I want yeah. to come back to that. I think we do need to <laughs> wanna, come back. To I want to come back to that towards the tail end. I want to remember that. Yeah, um, it's something that we call in practical theology. Um, multiple religious belonging but i like spiritual polyamory i want to explore that that is funny um but i'm a i'm a i'm a creative i'm a writer i'm a speaker i'm an author uh a spiritual coach and teacher and that has really like kind of become like the crux of my uh it's like my work and my what i feel my life's purpose is are so like for me it's just the same thing like, I'm here to help anyone, but especially queer people, reconnect with their spiritual life, with their connection to divine love, with their uh, their highest self, whatever we want to call that. I'm here to help them get, th- get that back. Because for so many people, it's been stolen. They think that it belongs to somebody else. And so I love the work of helping people unpack um, all the things that are untrue. And figuring out what what can be true. Yeah, I I really wanted to say and add to all of that, Kevin, that I had never met any queer Christians. I didn't know that they existed. And when you guys came to live with me, mm-hmm. I was mind blown. I didn't even know that the two could coexist. Mm-hmm. I had just assumed that if you were part of the LGBT community, you like you know kind of shun off religion completely so Mm -hmm. i'm been so fascinated with your journey from Mm -hmm. when you were living with me till now you have done so much like even listening to aubrey do the intro i'm just wow um i'm so impressed and i have so many questions and i know aubrey does too but i just wanted to say thank you because i didn't know that that could coexist so harmoniously you know Mm-hmm. And I know there's well, a lot of work, you. but it was just, it was so inspiring being around you. Man, thank you so much. And that means a ton. Like, like that, like when I was living with you, that was also like the lowest of my low times. And so I'm glad to know that that still was shining through in the midst of all that. That makes. Well, I think really it was, good. I think it was a really hard time. I was even telling Aubrey from my perspective, for all of us who were living in the house, it was such a difficult time and so much light and love came from that time at least for mm-hmm. me and oof, I just I think back at it and I'm mm-hmm. like god I, I thought I was gonna go homeless I was unemployed I mean mm-hmm. and we were still trying to live together and navigate and there was so yeah. much going on in our lives you know yeah. well, well it, it sounds like, like y'all were really there for each other I mean oof. I think there's something powerful about friendships where both and multiple people are going through something together, mm-hmm. it creates a closeness. Whether you're going through your own separate thing or together, it can create a bond when you're just yeah. there for each other. And it sounds like you two were. Infinite kindness. Like, I think that's like what I, exp- like my experience of you has always just been so much kindness. Aww. And fun. Girls are really fucking fun. On top of that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> she, is, she is fun, yes. I try. <laughs> Oh, oh, oh. So um, um, I'd love to hear yeah. more about your 
coming out story. And Kevin, I actually don't think I know your coming out story. All right. I, I know that we talked a little bit about our families. We had a couple some great conversations in the kitchen. Oh, I remember you singing in the kitchen. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's the best. They had the good acoustics in there. And also that shower in, in, in my room amazing acoustic pressure my shower had the great pressure (laughs) you know once a lifetime anyways coming out story let's get into it so yeah growing up in the american south means like you're kind of like exposed to um evangelicalism uh evangelical christianity in some form or fashion um whether it's being put on you by like the state legislature or it's um, coming from the pulpit that your uncle is the pastor of. And so my uncle was the pastor. My mom was the worship leader. And I, at nine years old, decided to give my life to Jesus Christ um, as my Lord and Savior. Because that's just what you did. Uh-huh. Um, high school, realized I like boys. Because Robbie Ludvigston, who doesn't have a Facebook. I've tried to find him to see what he looks like now. But in my mind's eye, like, he was the hottest thing. He was, like, skinty jeans. Before skinny jeans were cool, he skateboarded. He had curly brown hair. And I just noticed him. And I was like, oh, shit. I think he's hot, don't I? Oh, no. I'm a Christian. I'm not supposed to be this way. And so I was terrified for a good minute. So what I decided to do, um, tell a couple of friends, I think I might, I, I identify, I, I think I might be bi because like it never entered into my imagination that I would not marry a woman one day, ever. <laughs> um, mm. Because that's just like what I was raised with. Like, this is what good Christian men do. Is they marry the good Christian women. Um, fast forward, sophomore year of high school, me and my dad get into this stupid fight about me wanting to go to school at a city theater, which like also gay. Um, just a little bit. Um, but this he is was, in the he, south. He said, "Say what?" This is in the south. Yeah. So I'm living. Book, we're living in Virginia at the time. Oh, Virginia. Okay. Because in your book, you talked about a a summer camp in Tennessee. This mm-hmm. is all in Virginia, right? Okay. Yeah. The summer camp where I got saved and gave my life to Jesus was in Tennessee. My dad. Then high school, we moved to Virginia, and I did high school and all that stuff there. Okay. okay. Um. So. My dad yells about stupid things and tells me, uh, it's, you're, it's, your happiness is not important. What's important is that you're employable. That is what he said to me. And talk about like hearing that at an impressionable age and then not realizing till you're almost 31 that you're still working under that ethos and God almighty. That's my work right now is undoing that lie. But anyways... I go up to my room and cry because my dad yelled at me because I'm a very, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a sensitive emo kid. Like, what else am I going to do? And so my dad came upstairs later and apologized for yelling at me, even though, like, he never, ever apologized ever again in his whole life. Um, and then um, he came, he asked me, like, a line of questioning, like, you know, is there something wrong at school? I'm like, no, nothing's wrong. And basically he just asked me if I was gay. And I said, kind of. Because, like, I, I, you know, I was, maybe I was bi, I didn't know I'd ever done anything with a boy before. So, like, how was I supposed to know? Especially because I didn't know any other gay people. Didn't know any other queers. Mm. And also, this is a sin. So, like, I need to, I don't know, repent maybe? 
my dad said everything's going to be okay. He told my mother. She put she <laughs> called um, a line which connected her with a reparative therapy uh, practice in Richmond, Virginia. And I was in that office like two days later talking to a woman who was not a licensed psychotherapist and uh, sobbing through saying, I don't want to go to hell. Like literally sobbing that I do not want to go to hell over something I didn't choose. And that is the first time that someone said, oh, actually, you didn't pick this. Like, you know, this isn't your fault, but there is a way to change this. So my initial coming out, I came out and went directly into reparative therapy for, you know, on and off for 12 years. So I was in and out of different groups. I went to conferences. I um, had accountability partners. Uh, the whole nine. So like in front of my family, like I was like cured. We just didn't talk about it, but like I was like doing all the practices um, and like, you know, creating these lovely codependent male relationships with straight people and then resenting them later when they didn't fall in love with me. Weird, yeah, weird shit. Lots of boundary things, lots of feeling bad about my sexuality. Fast forward, it's now the summer of 2015. Uh, I was a missionary and I realized I just couldn't do it anymore. And maybe the Holy Spirit was leading me away from this shit and like away from pain and into joy. Mm. And maybe it's okay to be gay because like, why wouldn't it be? It just doesn't make sense. And um, I came out, lost my position in my missions organization and moved to Georgia and lived in a shitty basement apartment with no job, no money, no mattress. And, you know, fast forward six years later and now I'm... Uh, I came out later that fall, started doing LGBTQ advocacy shortly after that. Um, rest is history, really. Oh, oh, oh. Wait, why Georgia? Oh, that's where the missions organization was located. So, the, so I came here originally to work for them. And by work, I mean I was an intern. And by intern, I mean I was um, a glorified volunteer who raised a lot of money to work there. So you paid them so that you could work I paid there. them to work for them yeah, yeah, and ruin my credit. That's what I did. It was a hard time. Oh, you didn't even have a mattress? What did you sleep on? Um, I got an air mattress from the Walmart. Oh, those are bad. And I slept bad. on that for six months until oh, no. I was able to find a job, which was a godsend. And then I worked for a nonprofit for a time, and then I was a server, and now I finished grad school, and here we are. That's the short version. God school. I mean, the God school part kind of leads to our next question. What is a, what is a digital pastor? And why did you decide to go the route of being a more public theologian? Well, also, you know, I know you lead a traditional, you're a traditional worship leader at a church, but why the more public route? And how did you know you were supposed to be called to the ministry, as my minister friends say? How did you know you were called? I mean, because there's one thing to be a Christian and you have a Christian faith. And yeah. It's, one thing to, it's another thing to basically make it your life's work. Yeah. Well, funny enough, like, I kind of knew always from, like, when I was itty-bitty that I wanted to be in ministry. Like, since I was nine years old, I knew, like, this was, like, I wanted to be in ministry. Like, I didn't know what it was, was going to look like. Um. I don't know how to explain it other than like I wanted to do it and really like 
I tried to do everything else and it was highly dissatisfying. And so like, even though like this kind of work can be very, uh, energetically draining, um, it's still so worth it because I'm in the business of helping people get free. And therefore, as I give freedom away, I become more free. It is, it is a like this is like I it's like I hit the spiritual lottery as far as like the work I get to do is concerned, which I think is just magical. But the reason I, I, I decided to go into like public work is like A, I was already there. Like I was I've already been on the internet for a while and like growing and first of all, I think it's crazy that really it's over the past probably three months that like my platform has almost just like doubled in size. It's just exploit thousands up. <laughs> of new people. And I'm like crazy. But um, I started coaching a couple years ago. And that's where I started off with just like trying out these like new spiritual ideas with people in one to one kind of coaching things. But that's not the question we're talking about. Why did I want to do the public thing? Because I was there and because that's where the need is. And that's where people, that's the language that people speak right now. And so. I believe that the miracle, whatever it is, comes to us in the form that we need it. And for many people, like for me, I think about like, what was the YouTube video that helped me come out? It was actually a, a, a beauty guru from a couple years ago that I can't remember her name now. I can, it's on my favorites, I can go look it up. But like, I remember watching her and she just sat in front of the camera and she said, I'm gay. And she started crying and she said, it feels so good to say that out loud. And I was like, <gasps> I want that. And like, that's the language that I needed. I needed like somebody who like was around my age, who like kind of had a little bit of my story say like, give me the permission to go second. And so being a public witness does two things. A, it allows people with the privilege of going second um, because shit, I didn't have nobody growing up. And even now, like, I meet kids on the internet through, like, my DMs. Like, I've never met another queer Christian before. Why is that? You know? Why is it so far-fetched? It's like, in India, like, you, like you said, you never met anybody before. And that, that makes me... And, and the, here's the other thing. It's like, I don't even know if I'm a Christian anymore sometimes. Because, like, what does it even mean? Because, like, I'm, I'm not necessarily advocating for people joining the Christian faith. The thing I am advocating for is somebody just connecting to whatever, to love, to spirit, to whatever your purpose is, because we're out of time. If we don't fix, if we don't heal ourselves, we'll never heal the planet. And if we don't heal the planet in six years, we're all fucked. I'm, I, yeah. this, it's, it's in all of our best interest to start taking down our idols and start getting in touch with what actually is going on in the real world. And that's what I want to do public work for because so much of the conservative evangelical world that I come from still has no idea that there is another way to be human. Oh, oh, oh. Love that. So it's great. I, I love that you added onto your title and your website that you're an intuitive soul coach. Yeah. Um, and so when I figured out later that tarot cards are actually something very queer, I was a little bit excited and mm -hmm. I, I don't know, what got you into tarot readings? Like, tell me more. Yeah. So 
I um, was fresh out the closet. It's like the, I think we are in October of 2015 at this point. Uh, I'm fresh out the closet. I haven't come out all the way on the internet, but I've made like some connections with some internet humans. And this woman, her name is Jenny Lee Dowling. Um, you can find her on Instagram at the Well Pleasured Mama. Yeah. Um, but she offered to do a energy healing session with me, and I looked at her website and I was like, I do not have any money right now. I can't be doing that. I said, I'm just like, hey, I'm sorry, I don't have the money for it. And, and also, like to be honest, like I was like still kind. I was deconstructing is like the word that a lot of Christians will use, and what that means was like I was uh, interrogating my beliefs about why I believe what I did. And I still had this like uh, uh, unfounded fear that it's witchcraft and it's the devil and you're working with energies and you're going to let Satan into your body and you're going... I was very afraid of hell still. It was very interesting. It took me a while to let go of hell. That's another story for another time. But I did... She said, well, I'm going to do it. I feel like I'm supposed to do this with you. Let me just do it for free. You can pay me when you have the money. And I said, okay, I agree. <laughs> and I said, if I don't have the money, I won't give it. And when I have it, I will. Um, so we do the session. I am sobbing within 15 minutes because I feel the presence of Holy Spirit. I'm just like, this is the same thing I ex experienced in church. It is the same loving presence that I experienced when I got baptized, the same anytime I'm in worship. It's the same presence. Do, and then it was like, ding, 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 Kevin guess what? Not all of God's children are Christians. In fact, I'd say most of them aren't. <laughs> uh, so it was just like, it was like, oh my gosh, you mean that there's other ways of doing this? And the more I like learned about my own queerness and like the expansiveness of like queer just ideology and like um, queer theory in general, the more like I was just like, oh God is everywhere. Like there is nothing that is not God. And like who like I was like I cannot believe that I thought that like I, I I had figured it out, and so that started in I would always been curious about um, metaphysical shit and crystals and magic and and I was always afraid of it too because I was told it was the devil and so after that experience of experiencing God I was like oh this must be this might be okay too got myself a little tarot deck started learning started reading for other people. I think I practiced reading on other people just for funsies for like a year and a half. Um, because like, it, it, that was like the beginning of like wanting to do like spiritual coaching work was like, really the whole point of this is to help us find our blind spots, help us uh, get deeper in touch with our own desires. And so for me, it, it was a, it became a natural evolution of my faith. It was, you know, first comes spiritual energy healing sessions. Next comes um, occult worship, you know. Natural, natural progression. <laughs> um, but that's kind of, that's how I got into it. And now it's, uh, it's a daily practice for me now to interrogate my own stuff. And it's also um, something I do with clients as a service. Oh, oh, oh. I guess, and so I'm just trying to understand this idea of soul coaching. What is, what does that mean? What does it mean to be an intuitive soul coach? Yeah, uh, because I hate the term life coach is basically what it comes down to. I really do think about as soul coaching, meaning like I want you, like I'm going to coach you on how to get in touch with your soul, with your essence, with who you truly are, with like God in you. I'm going to coach you on how to get to that thing. Because together, like we're crafting practices and trying things and asking, what's my resistance? 
Why, what part of my ego is getting in the way of me feeling God and reminding myself that I am filled with peace, that I am a child of God, that really I am, there's no cruelty in God and I don't need to be afraid. If I'm, and so like my personal uh, uh, practice or theory, as I say, like if I am worried, if I am, if I am afraid, if I am anxious, it is a sign that I am not trusting or I am trying to control something. What is it? Why am I why am I clinging to this and why and how can I let it go? How can I let it flow through me? That's what I, when I when I say like life coach, I feel like a lot of life coaches like will say like I need life coaching on health stuff or I need uh, coaching on how to budget better or I need coaching on sobriety. Um, my work is I I need to work I need to figure out how to be how to get in touch with my soul. Get in touch with my spirit. Get in touch with the thing that the ineffable thing that's beyond the thing. And how do I experience it now? Oh, oh, oh. The other thing that I find really powerful about you using the word intuitive soul coach is when I hear about your own journey, it sounds like you kept having these aha moments of following your own intuition. And Correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like you're trying to provide that for other people as well. Um, you're not trying to be overly preachy and saying one way is right or wrong. You're saying follow your intuition and follow the love that you can find out That's there. That's exactly it's it. everywhere. And it, it's like, it's deceptively simple, isn't it? Yeah. It's like our, um, because I think we've, um, we've, I mean, capitalist culture teaches us that everything has a price and that everything is give and take. Love is different. Love is give and give. Love is constant generative power. And so when we are in love, like capital L love, when we are in spirit or inspired, when we are feeling good, you know, it's just like when, we, it's like when I'm feeling good, like I feel like I could give everything, give all my love away, give all my heart away. And so that's what I think, like, the pra like a practice of whatever kind people have. I think it's, this is the thing, is I believe there's many paths to God, obviously. For some people, they find it in religious traditions, and other people, they find it in yogic traditions. Some people find it in LSD. You know, it's wild. But what I am kind of exploring right now, and I think it's kind of a, we're in a phase of spiritual, I'm in a phase of spiritual experimentation, if you will, of like trying new language out and new practices and seeing what works. Seeing what works for more than just me mm -hmm. is really like what I'm, I'm interested to see. Yeah. But it really is. It's like, I don't care what the practice is. The whole point of the practice is to lead you back to the feeling. What's the feeling I want? I want to feel good. I want to feel presence. I want to feel peace in the midst of all my bullshit. Like in the midst of all this bullshit, in the midst of the post office going away, in the midst of, uh, oh my gosh, coronavirus, in the midst of fucking like oh my god like we're having a social uprising for black lives how incredible and also like what's my part in all of it and also like how do i keep working on myself that my so there's yes all these questions and then i go there we go and i'm back i'm back to this feeling of yes this is all important and it looks like seven things to do on my list what can i do right now Oh, oh, oh. And that's much easier, much more fun. And it's like, that's <laughs> another thing. It's just like, 
I think about prior like prioritizing pleasure, both sexual pleasure and also just the idea of fun. Like I want to like I want my inner like teen, like and of course like within reason because like I can overdo it obviously. But just, like, there's so many fun things I didn't get to do as an openly queer teen that I'm doing now. Like, making friends mm. who, like, understand me. Or, like, um, I don't know, like, uh, not wearing my shirt on outside when I'm going for a run. Because I felt really self-conscious about it. Yeah, Where, like, like, fuck it, Kevin. Like, your hair and you're pale right now. Just, like, get some sun on you. Oh, oh, oh. No, wait, wait. You were wearing a colorful rainbow caftan at the beach <laughs> yes i was it was so fun and also like i looked like the gay john the baptist coming out the water with that thing on it was so funny to look at and i was also wearing a big red hat no one said boo at me and i was also like loving up on my friend daniel and he like you know we just look like the cutest couple ever no one said anything to us it was so lovely or, or like it was just like very normal yeah you know, people just were doing their own shit and we weren't accosted. And I was like, I was fully expecting to get some looks, but we didn't. It was lovely. So beautiful. What a moment. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. I think one thing you mentioned, well, you did mention earlier, is how hard it was for you to come out because you come from a very religious evangelical family and the South is very conservative, very evangelical. Do you engage with people that might be ministers or just everyday people that have those more conflicting views? How do you, how do you engage with them or manage those conflicts? I'm very conscious about who I'm going to give my energy to. And most of the time, I am not here to educate people on the biblical case for LGBTQ inclusion. That conversation is boring to me. And the reason it's boring to me is because if I have to proof text the reason for you to treat me with respect, that's very strange. <laughs> it's like, why do you need a Bible verse to treat someone kindly? Like, that's like, and they would say, no, oh, it's the perfect word of God. I'm like, you're an asshole. Okay? That's really what it comes down to. It's like, you don't have to be this way. And you, like, this is a choice. Sorry. The way you treat me is a choice. Yeah. What I'm interested in is like all the other shit. Like I want to get past the question of whether it's okay to be gay and queer or trans. Like that's a yes. Mm. The answer is yes. Can we can we move on to something more exciting like how do I like live a fulfilling life? Or like hey, I have a conservative family. How do we create new family together? Or you know, what if our spirituality and our activism were one in the same? Mm. Like, that's, that's the conversations that I want to have. And that's the conversation, like, you know, like, how can my spirituality help me become um, a better preserver of the earth? Oh, oh, oh. Right. And I think it's important to remind people not to engage um, with people who are interested in just dismantling who you are as a person. And I... I wish someone had told me when I was younger to only give energy to things that bring me joy. <laughs> Say that right there. <laughs> Prize your peace. Prize your pleasure. That's like, if you can, if you can, and like everyone says like, well, that sounds like really selfish. I'm just like, I'm the one who has to exist in this world. And 
I want to feel good and I don't want to feel bad. And that seems like a really normal thing to me. Yeah. So it's like, and what's so interesting too, is that like evangelical subculture, along with purity culture, misogyny, and all the things that goes with that, it teaches us to be okay with people inflicting pain on us. We come, like we basically learn how to consent to our own abuse and our own belittling and our own like, and like it makes like the theology that comes from these churches is so toxic and it allows parents to say horrible things to a child, you know? And, and, and that's like the thing that like I want, I don't want that anymore and nobody does. And that's why I'm interested in like, I mean, like, there are days when I'm like, I want the whole fucking thing to burn, like the big C church. I don't give a, I don't care. Like, I love Christians. I love the, my Christian heritage. I love the person of Jesus, the institution of the church. If it disappeared tomorrow, I wouldn't be too sad. And I think that, like, a lot of oppression might end as a, as a result of that. Um, but, you know, what do I know? I'm just looking at 2,000 years of history. So, mm. oh, oh, oh. So... Kevin, I can't believe you wrote a book. Uh, what what made you decide right. to write this book? How long did it take you? What happened? Like, I'm just mind blown. And maybe I'm more mind blown because I'm thinking of like, when was the last time I saw you in the house to now? And I'm like, what? You wrote a book? Yeah, I, um, I was trying really, really hard to get a book deal at the time. And my focus was really, really different at the time. I was really focused on like, how do we do reform among theology and policy within a church to do harm reduction? And I still think that's important. I just don't think it's my work anymore. It used to be. Um, I leave that to people who care about the church. Not <laughs> um, uh, so I started out, um, it's, it started all on a mountaintop. I was, I was sitting on the Wild Goose Festival. All good things apparently come from that place. Um, but I started writing the intro chapter and it, it really made sense all of a sudden that like, I needed to stop giving a shit about getting a publisher and just put the book out there. Because if people, if a publisher doesn't want to, I had to remember, like, if a publisher doesn't want to publish a book, it, I have to be reminded, it's not because my book isn't good. It is because a publisher is a, is a capitalist program. Like, it is a business. And at the end of the day, they care about making money. And if they, to take a risk on an author who has not the hugest following, um, has really good things to say, has really good ideas. Like, it makes sense. I was a risk. Um, and so there was a risk that they weren't willing to take. And so what did I do? Bet on myself and said, see what see what will happen. So the book really kind of, like, after I stopped giving a shit about, like, what was, what was going to make me marketable and begin to say what I actually wanted to say, <laughs> uh, the book, like, flowed out of my head like a faucet. It came out of my head like a faucet. And, like, for, like, three months straight, I was just, like, sitting in the coffee shop early mornings just. I would sit there for, like, five hours and, like, 10,000 words would come out. And I'm like, wow, okay, now I have to edit this down. When I finished writing that book, it was nearly 100,000 words. And my editor was like, <sighs> we got it down to 60,000, which is still 20 above, like, the market that I'm in. Um, but when I finished the book, I realized I needed to write this book so that I could finally be okay with what I actually believe and what I actually want to like shed like the shame of like, not like 
it's like I literally it's like I feel like I'm in the wild wild west out here like I there's no rules it's like you can publish a book and it can be wildly successful if you want it to be Especially if it's a good book. And apparently, like, mine's... I've sold over 1,100 copies. Ooh, my congratulations! Own. Like, that's, uh, what, like, uh, 10% of my audience. And that's a, that's a good, uh, that's a good indicator. So, um, the book, uh, covers everything from, uh, coming out, my coming out story, to dealing with my mental health, uh, dealing with gun like how like gun violence affected me personally i talk about where i was um the night that pulse happened and what and then i also have like a large essay on just like the history of gun violence in america and like the history of militarism and why it's a problem we get into sex before marriage which is like a big thing for a lot of people coming out of yeah. <laughs> evangelicalism like what it is is like i'm like i'm using those examples as truly just examples of like the framework through which new theology can be done where our experience is just as valuable as the things that we engage with scripture. Like it's like, I don't need to take marriage advice from an unmarried, formerly religious guy 2000 from 2000 years ago who we actually can't, but fun fact, we can't like half, we said, Oh, Paul wrote the new Testament. No, he didn't. He only wrote like three of the letters. Everything else was included from people who were writing in the writing in the style of Paul. That's another thing too. I'm really passionate about biblical education and telling people what actually like how we got this thing. Yeah. The level of biblical ignorance among conservatives is stifling to me. Agreed. And annoying. It's the Bible is such a very interesting tool, and a very interesting book, and people it's got a bad rap. I mean, understandably so. want to know what does being queer in the south mean to you and why is it important for us to talk about it yeah i it's weird like i love being from the south like i know it's got all the weird problems that come with being from the south and also like there is a different it is a different culture of care and i think being queer and among like queer black people and queer brown people and um especially in atlanta it's like such a beautiful like weird ass community of amazing humans it's like i think there is still such a hold over from harmful religion and a harm harmful religion that then informs harmful policies in our politics that's really like another big crux is like we don't realize like how entwined evangelicalism is with our political climate and you really do need to understand the religious aspect of that group in order to uh to work against it and dismantle it and understand how do they build power and how do they not only like grab onto the imagination but how do they like leverage fear <laughs> from religion in order to get what they want so the reason i love being queer and from the south is it not only like paints a picture of like a different picture of what it is to be a human who lives down here. Because again, there's always the, there's the trope that people from the South are inherently racist and inherently poor and inherently dumb and inherently very weirdly religious. And that's just not fucking true. And they also like, it also just like, we can't uh, point out 
that untruth without also pointing out to pointing to like the disparities that the South has like had to handle, um, you know, since the Civil War and the destruction of the the South. Like there's still like problems and holdover. Yeah. And that, not only that, but it's just like Jim, like do we like we have to once we dive into that, we have to dive into like the history of racism. Like the reason it's important to be in my opinion, to be visible and queer. And the reason I love that I stayed in the South and like I feel like this is where I'm gonna be for a long ass time is because there's still people here who ain't free. There's still people here who think it's not okay to be gay or be queer. And it makes my eyes water up because it's like, I know what I spent 25 years, 25 years not being myself. And I don't want that for anybody. And if I go to California, that's fun. LA is great. I could really flourish out there. But the problem is, it's just like, they don't need me. They don't need my story. You know who needs my story? The, the kid in the small Absolutely. town. Yeah. So that's that's why I stick around in the South. And then I think it's like being queer and from the South. I was like, we, there's so much bullshit that needs to get fixed still. <laughs> and that's like, uh, I don't know whether I stay because I'm petty and I want to win or whether it's like out of a sense of obligation or maybe a little bit of both. I don't know. Sure. <laughs> that was such a good answer, Kevin. Thank you. Yeah. And th- that's a very thoughtful question too. Thank you for like going there. Yeah. You bet. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Um, I loved every minute. Y'all too, like <laughs> India, pleasure as always. And you are just such a delight as well, Aubrey. Thank you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I'll take any compliment I can get. I'll thank you. Uh, to keep cool. up with Kevin, you can find them at thekevingarcia.com. Then the the is important. So you gotta find Yeah, because right. otherwise you're gonna end up on a website that's expired. Yeah. <laughs> so, and then on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, it's the Kevin Garcia. And if you get a chance, check out their YouTube videos and some of them they even sing. So make sure you check out those. Go to my Instagram if you want to hear my, my real good voice. I just put up a little hymnal. Mm. <laughs> <Did> you... <laughs> Kevin, seriously, I'm so excited to be able to reconnect with you. I had all the feels thinking about where we were when we were living together in Kirkwood and where mm. we are today. And I just, uh, I'm leaving with such joy. And I'm Me so too. excited to spread your, your word because I think your spoken word is important. Yes, I received that. Mm, come on, Pastor India over here. <laughs> Talking about you are going to overcome by the word of your testimony. <laughs> All right, I love y'all. Thank, Thank you, you so much for this time. You can find more information about this episode and the show at our website, southernqueries.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram by searching Southern Queries. Queries is with two E's. Until next time, thanks for listening. Some credits. Production, your hosts, India and Aubrey. Audio mixing by Allison Hawley. Story research, Aubrey Calvin. Editing, India Bastian. This is Southern Queries. Oh.